<laughs> baby monitor. <laughs> Hold on. Been there. <laughs> we still have a baby monitor from the house. Because if oh, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> if um, then I can still come out here yeah, and do work yeah. or do whatever and still listen out for him at <laughs> night. Because sometimes he still does wake up in the middle of the night and needs the wee. Yeah, well, that's all right. Can't have that. podcast i'm your host kev and there is a fly in the studio it's actually it's actually buzzing pretty close so yeah good times hey listen um this week's episode it was a it was a uh it, it was a really enjoyable conversation but it was a good reminder to me that um that we need to take inventory stock of our our small accomplishments a lot of the times we can um uh we can be weighed down with um with what's going on in the world and uh, we can sort of feel a little bit that, um, you know, we, um, no matter what we do, um, isn't going to make a difference. So why do it? Um, but really what we should be doing is, um, is, is making sure that, you know, we have those small accomplishments and recognize those small daily accomplishments. And that may be getting the kid off to school or doing the laundry or doing the dishes or, you know, even just getting up in the morning sometimes for some people is a is a struggle so stop being so hard on yourself i know it's easier said than done um i'm my own biggest critic so i feel you probably just needs to be said as well that um all my guests and uh and myself our opinions are our own we don't represent any uh any organizations and the opinions uh, are that of ourselves and, and not of those organizations i'm not the most smartest or most articulate person in the world um, there are going to be times where, uh, I have said something, um, or shared an opinion and I've worded it incorrectly or called something not necessarily politically correct. Look, there is a really good chance that I haven't meant it. Um, so, uh, apologies if I have offended anyone or I do offend anyone. Um, my suggestion is, um, inbox me and let's have a discussion about it. Um, I can either do one of two things. I can either apologize for it um, or better explain myself and yeah, but let's, um, let's, let's have that open discussion. Let's, um, let's keep level headed and, and let's not, uh, not start um, crucifying each other for our opinions. The weekend just gone, just finished recording five and a half hours worth of MCU movie deep dive with my friend Joel. Uh, we, um, we enjoyed a few espresso martinis while we were recording, uh, especially because it was so hot and so humid and, uh, the espresso martinis were made with journey made coffee. Journey made coffee, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be consumed hot. Um, man, the, uh, the, the espresso martinis really hit the spot and, and, uh, yeah. So go to www.journeymadecoffee.com.au Place an order and use the code MYMATE for 10% off. So without further ado, this is my mate, Maddie. Thanks for coming out and joining me. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's I don't know, for you, is this early? No. No, <laughs> this is normal. No, I'm pretty lucky. Flynn will sleep till about 7.30. Okay. And then 
But I, I think my body clock wakes me up before he's awake. Fair so, enough. Yeah. And by Flynn, I'm assuming you're meaning your, your child and not your husband? Yes, <laughs> my little baby. <laughs> no, Joel's, Joel's my husband and he's very good. He um, will go off to work quietly so that we can keep sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> very good. How old's Flynn? Four months old. How's that all going for you? It's exhausting. I love it, but it's definitely not at all what I thought it would be. Okay. What, what did you think it was going to be? I think I had thought that I was super prepared for motherhood because I have younger siblings. Sure. I'm a teacher. Yeah. I'm around kids. You know, I love them. Um, and I think whether you want to or not, what you see in movies and what, you, <laughs> what other people post and things like that, you think, oh, it's so romantic and yep. it's all beautiful. And then you have a child and it's like the biggest culture shock in the world it just changes your whole life yeah so for me it was um a big adjustment that i i think i'm a control freak and then to not be in control was a really yeah a big adjustment for me yeah okay yeah, yeah fair enough massively the um what i found we were extremely lucky in that i'm a i'm a night owl um and and yeah, the wife had good. the time off so i was doing the um because Alex was every three hours on the dot. Um, so I was doing the, the 9, 9, 12, and 3 or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, uh, and then I'll try and get some sleep during the morning. And I only ended up having um, um, two weeks off or something like that for paternity leave. Oh, yeah. And then I was, I was sort of back at work type thing. So, yeah. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Alex was a really easy kid. I think Flynn is. I think, I mean, every kid's different, but the fact that, yeah, the fact that he sleeps through the night now, we yep. can put him down at about 9.30 yep. and, you know, he'll stir just to be flipped onto his belly. Sure. Um, and then he's up at, you know, 7.30. I think we're super lucky. But Joel was the same as you. He did um, when we eventually, when I let go and let us have a <laughs> bottle, um, he would do the... I think it was yeah, like either one thirty or three a.m. feed, so that I could just get a solid chunk. Yeah, because I do not cope well with that sleep. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person. It, it makes a huge difference getting a, a chunk of sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I, mum and dad, gave us that advice because mm -hmm. when they had Jackson, my younger brother, he um, the rugby world cup I think was on, so dad was happy to be up. He did the nighttime feed, so mum could have a solid sleep. Yep. And I think you know. That made her a lot more sane, so we we took that advice in our stride. Excellent, yeah. I got um, I got given advice fairly early on, which was um, that the first person you should be taking care of is yourself. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, you know, like you, you just can't function and you can't be a good parent. And um, it wasn't until probably about a month in that we realised, like both of us were getting up for both feeds, like we we're trying to be supportive mm -hmm. and both there and all that sort of stuff and. Um, which is all nice and good and romantic and stuff, but trying to do that around the clock. Um, both of us are, are neat freaks and control freaks as well. So in between feeds, instead of resting or vegging I on the couch or something like house. that, <laughs> yes. we were we were cleaning. Like you know, yeah. we were still trying to do the clothes and the and the and the dishes and the yeah. cooking and no. Nah. Well, I think my mum just. Uh, gave me a little bit of a slap back into reality <laughs> because I, it was the exact same thing. You know, Joel was beautiful and wanted to be up for every feed with me because I was having a hard time breastfeeding. And like you were saying with your wife, it wasn't a comfortable thing. And, you know, you expect, oh, I'm a mum and it's natural. And, you know, this is what nature is. And it is 
not the well, it was for me, it was not that great. Yeah. Um, but we were the same. I have made myself a roster of what I clean each day. That's okay. I, but it, it, for me, I think I need that. I need a job to do. Mm-hmm. And which sounds ridiculous when you're raising a child, but that's just what I need to feel like I've accomplished something in the day. Yep. But I had to be, yeah, had to be slapped back into reality with mum saying, if you don't clean the floors, it's okay. <laughs> and I'm really lucky that Joel was the same. He, he just said, I don't care if the house is tidy. Yep. You're looking after our baby. Yeah. That's all I care about. Yeah. So it is, but it's, it's an adjustment. It's a massive adjustment. It is a I huge think. adjustment. Um, I found, and not even to do with kids, but taking, um, taking inventory of just daily accomplishments for yourself. And mm-hmm. like we we're almost built to be overly critical of ourselves. And, yeah. and if we, if we don't have this, um, almighty big accomplishment by the end of the day, like, you know, oh, I, I, I did all the washing or, you know, yeah. all, all the, you know, whatever, then you, you sort of, it's not that you feel like a failure, but you sort of feel like you've wasted a day. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely important just to, just to take stock of small accomplishments. And But I think like, you know, that comes from being, I guess, in a sense, adults and professional people. And you go from, you know, for me, it was, I was leading a preschool uh-huh. and I was at school each day and a million things would pop up and you'd manage to do them. And then I had a baby and it was like, oh my gosh, he went down for 40 minutes. <laughs> he had a sleep. Like that was insane to me. Yeah. Um, and so to go from, yeah, being highly accomplished to all of a sudden you're not in control <laughs> and this little baby is going to tell you how your day is going to go. Yeah. Is- wild yeah um we were um again look we were really lucky um he was he was like clockwork so we could we could set a clock to it it was it was nuts but um yeah um from from one to three so far um has been the most exciting best time ever it is so good like from about one um alex's personality started coming out and it wasn't just like goo goo and gar garring, it was it was full on interaction. And then from from about one and a half to like you know he started you know riding bikes and you know reading books and stuff yeah. like that and um, you know watching TVs and playing jokes and stuff like that. And it's so good, like the interaction. It's beautiful. Oh, well, it's, Flynn, it's the best thing in the world. Flynn came out of the womb frowning at me, which is Joel's <laughs> face to me 90% of the time. I remember they lifted him up and he just had this big scowl on his face. And I was like, well, there's no denying who your father is. <laughs> and so he's had this kind of little personality <clears throat> right from birth. Yep. But I'm so excited for those days where, you know, like he can go out and kick the ball with his dad and, yep. you know, it'll be nicer for Joel too to have a little a little munchkin to run around with and yeah. all those sorts of fun things. I think leading up to one was probably the hardest time, funnily enough, for me, um, Holly and Solly, because Alex was um, Alex was starting to become very, very independent. Um, mm. He was starting to play with his emotions and stuff like that, and it was it was really cool um, teaching him how he can express his emotions. Yeah. Um, but when he got independent. Um, especially when he was learning to walk, that was so hard because he, he didn't want to be held. He didn't want to like hold hand. He didn't want to be in the pram or anything he like that. He was a big boy. He was a big boy, <laughs> but he just couldn't get that walking thing just yet. <laughs> so it one. was just, yeah, there was a lot of frustrating. There was a lot of, well, just go do your own thing, mate. Yeah. So, yeah. yes. 
Um, but yeah, we were, um, Alex was very, very early with a lot of things like four to be sleeping, like four months to be sleeping through mm. the night is awesome. I count my blessings. Let me tell you, <laughs> count my blessings. What we found, cause Alex was about the same age when he started sleeping through. Um, he also stopped daytime sleeps at about 10 months oh, okay. because he just didn't need that thing. Yeah. Um, so we, um, we, we were trying to get him to sleep during the day still. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it just become, became a lot of fighting and a lot of stress. And we're like, you know what, just do your own thing. He was quite happy to, to stay awake during the day. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it just meant that for that hour or so during the day, you just didn't have that break. Yeah. Well, he's a little bit already like that. He sort of only has maybe two solid sleeps in the daytime. Mm-hmm. But he, I think this kid has like fear of missing out. He just, and especially when other people are around, he sort of seems to hang on, something's going on. And obviously, you know, I know he probably has no recollection, but that's my interpretation of his little (laughs) brain. But yeah, he seems to just love it. And some days I can get good sleeps and other days, you know, you can't, but I figure if he's sleeping at night, then Oh, for We're sure. Lucky. Yeah. yeah. Alex is exactly, well, was and is still exactly the same. Like if we have friends over for dinner or something like that, he's he will not do anything to do with bed. Like no yeah. shower, no nothing. He just refuses <laughs> to because he just wants to be there. He wants to interact. Yeah. Yeah, so, he's yeah. a big boy. He's an adult. Yeah, he that's right. He knows what he's doing. So, yes. So um, the um, the control thing. And, and the, the over, over accomplishment, has that got something, do you think that has something to do with um, your family and uh, being in the ADF? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I come from two very hardworking parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mum has worked full time, I think my whole life, and she did my older brother and I as a single mum. So mm-hmm. I don't know how she managed that. <laughs> um, but we, and then dad has had an amazing really busy career, um, in the army, but I don't know, I don't know if it really came from that. I think we were just brought up to do the best that you can and Mm -hmm. be the best that you can. And I think it's just maybe my nature that I'm a little bit hard on myself, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about your childhood and growing up and all that sort of good stuff. Where did you, (laughs) where did you grow up? So I was born um, in Pean Hospital in Penrith. Mm-hmm. So Ben and mum and I lived in this little house that was all mum could afford and she was amazing for, you know, getting us to have a home that was just for the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, when she met dad, we moved to Windsor. Dad was posted to Richmond RAF Base at the time. Yep. And from there, um, we moved to Pakapanyal, which is down in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Kapuka in Wagga Wagga, <laughs> back to Windsor, then to Cherrybrook, because yep. dad went to um, Timor Barracks in Dundas, Ranwick. Mm-hmm. He also did six years away from us. Mm, okay. um, he was posted to Melbourne, and in one of his postings, he got uh, deployed to Iraq. Yep. And then we sort of settled in Cherrybrook in Sydney, um, and that was... They were probably, they were awesome times. I loved living there. That was really lucky for us to, for me to be able to go to the same high school the whole time, for my younger siblings, the same sort of thing. 
um, yeah, we were lucky to be able to stay there. And then now mum and dad live out here in Oberon. <laughs> up in, up until you settled down in Cherrybrook, how was, how rough was the jumping from town to town? I actually loved it. Okay. I think for me, um, so I'm one of four and I think for Ben and I, we're very socialites. Like, I, yeah, very social. We're sort of social butterflies. And I think for he and I, that helped build our personalities like that. Sure. We sort of took it in our stride. My younger siblings, um, they didn't do as much moving. So I think for them, it was a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. Like, and I guess then marrying someone who's in the RAF, mm -hmm. I love that we move every three years. Yep. You know, we get to live in a house and if we don't like it, well, we're only here for three years. <laughs> Never mind, off we go. Like, it's it's great. Yeah, yeah fair it's enough. It's definitely a good lifestyle. But I think you have to be a certain kind of person to enjoy it. Sure. Definitely. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with not liking it. Mm -hmm. It's just each to their own. Absolutely. So you mentioned before that your dad was uh, post posted overseas. Mm -hmm. When was he posted overseas? I was in year seven, so I think it was 2007, 2006, 2007. Sure. I was gone for eight months. Yep. Um, and, yeah, my Jackson and Charlotte, my younger siblings, they were super young, and mum was still working full time. You know, he'd been living in Melbourne for a little bit, and yep. we didn't want to go. I'd just started high school, that sort of thing, so they made the decision to live apart um, and mum stay up mm -hmm. and yeah, that was really, that was really hard. I think hard on everyone, but I, I can't imagine now being a mother and a wife. I don't know how she did that with four children mm. and I don't, you know, my hat goes off to the both of them. They have such an amazing marriage and they're so strong together. Don't get me wrong. Everyone goes through, you know, their hardships, but they really, they have a trust and a respect for one another that I think all of us can see mm -hmm. as children. And it's something that, you know, we put into our own relationships. Absolutely. And they worked really hard to get that, obviously. But that was, yeah, it was a tricky time when dad was gone. It was yeah. definitely scary. <laughs> I think it was um, um, once, once I became a parent, it was... Um, um, probably on a weekly basis, I'll talk to mum and dad and mm -hmm. I'd, I'd either apologize for, for being a <laughs> shit of a kid or, yeah. or just, just, just tell them like, I, I, I completely understand. Like yeah. it's, it's not until that you've got, like, it's, it's all well and good to, to say, oh, you know, when I'm a parent, I'll, I'll be this and that mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And most of the time people mm -hmm. are, but it's not until you have your kid yeah. and that you look back at, um, how you were parented yeah. and you just go, yeah, like I, I understand. Or like you said, I, I cannot believe how hard it was yeah. and you still got through it. Yeah. Well, my dad grew up in New Zealand on a dairy farm mm -hmm. and his parents were, which was, I think, totally normal at the time, but they were not, you know, you didn't talk about your feelings and things like that. And safe to say we've broken dad because mm -hmm. he does talk about his feelings now. <laughs> but he, you know, for him, even though he's not an outwardly emotional person yep. that still would have been so hard to leave your wife and four children and potentially die. Absolutely. Like, oh, okay. I'll just, you know, see you later. Yep. And I might see you in eight months. Like that was, and he went through, um, some tricky things over there, I'm sure. Yeah. So to be over there on your own and have the, 
panic of what's going on. I'm sure for him he didn't panic. He's very in control. Maybe that is where <laughs> I get it from. Um, but for him being over there and, you know, having to be focused on what his job was in yeah. Iraq and then also think about your family at home and how are they going. And, you know, we only got to talk to him every now and again on the phone. Mm-hmm. And that I remember you weren't allowed to ask where they were mm. and you weren't allowed to ask what they were doing. And as a kid, that's all you know how to do on a telephone. <laughs> like, oh, what are you doing? Where yeah. have you been? And so that was, I think dad did well to hold conversations with us when it probably broke his heart that he couldn't be at home. Yeah. So yep, it was yeah, tricky. Yeah, okay. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming he's retired now? Yeah. he. So he did 39 years. Wow. And... I don't know exactly how many months. I probably should. 39 years and something months in the full-time army. Um, And then he went and joined the Army Reserve so that he could make his 40 years, Mm -hmm. um, which he did and then exceeded that as well. I think he ended up doing two years in the reserves. Um, So, yeah, he had a very long amazing career yeah 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 no that's amazing so you said before as well that your husband is in the service yes he's in the air force could you ever imagine being in a relationship with uh someone that isn't in that adf yeah i think um i definitely think i could but it's a lifestyle that i love and it's something that i'm super proud of Mm -hmm. you know i enjoyed being a kid who's who had a dad in the army mm. and my oldest brother is now in the army as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just by chance that I met Joel when he was in the RAF. He didn't tell me he was in the RAF. <laughs> he just told me he was a mechanic. Um, little did I know it was, yeah, a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I don't know that I could picture myself with anyone other than him. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, I'm not sure. But it would, I think the lifestyle is something that we love. And I enjoy that now my son will get to have the same pride about his father that I have about mine. Yeah. I really love that. And I love being a wife of someone from the Defence Force because I think it's not everyone can do that job. No. You know, not everyone chooses to make that sacrifice because you do. Joel's, you know, we did lots of long distance and all that sort of stuff. And I think only certain people can do that because you really have to have a really good trust with each other. Yeah, and that's absolutely. not to say that if you're not in the RAF or if you're not in the Defence Force, you don't. I don't mean <laughs> it like that. But I just think it's a different kind of relationship. Yep. And I know that for me, which is something I learned from my mum, mm-hmm. my career takes a sacrifice for the moment until he's done with his career. Yep. And that's, you know, being a strong, independent woman, that's a hard thing to want to do. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's ways about it. You know, I can still progress my career, but I'm okay with the fact that I want him to do the best he can mm-hmm. and then I'll have my moment. Yeah. That's okay. And I learned that from my parents. Like, yep. look at mum now. She's, she's got a house husband. She's living <laughs> the dream. She's got a trophy husband. It's, so. it's actually really interesting because uh, when, when someone says um, uh, strong, independent woman, they usually think a very career driven, mm. um, you know, sacrificing the kids and the relationships and stuff like that. But a lot of the times it, it does mean um, making the sacrifices yourself. Like I, I think that in itself um, is like, you have to be as strong to, to, mm. 
to to have that foresight for the future, for the relationship and for the kids and stuff like that, and be willing to make that sacrifice as much as making those sacrifices to have that career as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's lots of different ways that you can be a strong, independent woman, and I'm all for, you know, all for that. I think it's fantastic, but I also I don't think there's anything wrong with being a strong woman who's supportive of her husband's career. No, absolutely not. You know, I think that's what makes a great partnership. Yep. Is that you can support each other and you know when it's your time to shine and Mm -hmm. I know that when it is my time to shine, he'll back me 100%. Mm -hmm. I know if I wanted to do something now, he would, but I'm happy to just follow him for the moment. Yeah. That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me happy at the moment. Yeah, plus priorities change at the moment, especially with the kids. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have the mind frame to go anywhere. (laughs) I can hardly remember to get dressed. So so from Cherrybrook, um, you finished high school from there? Yeah, so I went to Cherrybrook Technology, and that was an amazing school. That was really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, I started my teaching degree online. Wow, okay. And I did not do well. I am not an online studier <laughs> as much as I would like to be. So my hat goes off to people that can do that. I think being fresh 18, all my friends were at uni making friends or, you know, they were out at jobs. Um, and I was sitting at home looking at the dog. Do you want me to pat you? <laughs> so it was really, it was tricky. So I ended up leaving the degree. Mm-hmm. And I fell into a receptionist job in the city. Mm-hmm. And from there, I became um, a workplace health and safety officer. Wow, okay, yep. And that was excellent. I did that for, I think, a little over three years. Sure. And I ended up moving to different companies and sort of, I think I was a little bit of a career woman, <laughs> although I don't think, I, ref- I can reflect now and go, my gosh, you were so young and naive and thought you knew everything. (laughs) Um, But at the time, it was amazing. And then I decided I wanted to go back to uni and do teaching. I think I did much better because I went back later. Mm -hmm. It was really, I knew that I wanted to do it. And I knew that it was my passion and something that I loved. So that was, for me, that was the best choice to go and have a break and then go back and study. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't until I was... I would say a, a solid 30 mm-hmm. did I realize that um, um, that that a job uh, a corporate job or a career job wasn't for me it was mm-hmm. it was it was all about like having having a a secure job to support the lifestyle yeah um, especially living out here mm-hmm. um, like there's just there's so much to do it's so quiet it's so open and stuff like that. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good choice. And that's, um, that's how I sort of found the emergency services as well. Yeah. Um, just because I, um, I, I chose not to have the, you know, the 40 something hour a week job. And I think you're almost, whether it's subconsciously, unintentionally, I don't know, but I think it's almost ingrained in you, especially in high school, that you need to know what you want to yeah, do. I know. And it has to be one thing and you've got to stick to it. Like we were just this morning actually talking to my younger brother, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just turned 21. He started off doing paramedicine. He worked at, you know, the IGA here in Oberon. Mm-hmm. But it's not what he loves. Mm-hmm. He enjoys the science behind it, mm-hmm. but it's not what he loves and what makes him happy. What makes him happy is rock climbing and he's a brilliant rock climber. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about, you know, maybe you start your own rock climbing business or maybe you go into sports and recreation, which is 
not something that I think is almost presented to you as an option. Yeah. It's, no, it has to be a very nine to five because you're going to have bills to pay and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But I think quite often some of the happiest people are people that don't work in that nine to five. That's it. Or people that are doing something that they love. Yeah. Something that makes you happy and, you know, it's all well and good to be able to afford anything and everything that you want. But I think there's ways to go about that and ways to make that happen that yeah. don't have to be that. I agree. I, I think I think for career advisors, it's probably the safe option just to dole out the nine to five because yeah. if they were going, oh, you know, you can go out and be an artist, you can go out and do this and yeah. that, and yeah. people follow their dreams and stuff, and then they're broke and living on the street and stuff. It's yeah. You told me I could do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, in, in Jackson's case, you, you could always. I think as a 21-year-old, 18-year-old, 21-year-old, even as a 25-year-old, I completely agree. Like asking them to make decisions that will affect the rest of their life's mm. career is is rough. Yeah. I guess, look, if he likes the rock climbing stuff and likes the extreme sports type stuff, try and get him to sit out the paramedicine thing, become a paramedic, and then go into the, the special operations of the paramedics where they do the rock climbing, they do the yeah. tricky rescues and stuff like that. So you can still put the, uh, the science to use. I think he's probably more like me than he'd like to admit. <laughs> but at the moment... Uni's just not his thing. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I think that has to be okay. Uni wasn't my because, thing either. Yeah. I, even when I went back as a, you know, a mature age student, <laughs> I think I was fresh 21. Um, even then I hated writing essays. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit there and write an essay. I would procrastinate until the last minute and somehow I passed that degree, which is not a great thing to say as a teacher, <laughs> but I managed but I think, you know, he's the same. He's living life and having a great time. Mm -hmm. And he's a hard worker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's working two jobs at the moment and he's having a good time doing it. And if that's what he wants to do at the moment, then you go for it. Absolutely. But I think a great, <coughs> something that's lucky in our family is that you have so many people with so many different careers. Sure. Like I've got a cousin, she owns her own business. She's owned two businesses. She's amazing. Charlotte's starting. That's my little sister. She's starting her own business. You know, Ben's in the army. Mum's a teacher. I'm a teacher. But he's got our aunties and uncles and everyone's done a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Nobody just stuck with the one thing. Mm -hmm. I think dad was probably the only one that stuck with one thing. Um, <laughs> But good on him because yeah. lots of people can't do that these days. They that's don't it. want to spend 40 years in a career. That's it. So well, it's, a, it's a good diverse range to draw experience from, I think. Yeah. I think it's great. And he'll get there. He'll take his time. And when he's ready, he'll do whatever it is that he's going to do. Yeah. So from WHS, mm -hmm. where did life take you? Well, I had to do a lot of training of people. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, I found that I was really enjoying the teaching side sure. in saying that I think I had hardly any idea what I was actually teaching because I was younger than all these blokes <laughs> I was teaching it to. They were, you know, in their fifties and all machinists and things like that. And there's me with a little piece of paper, like, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to tell you how to do your job. Um, but from there, I then, it just came to me. I just said, I just want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. I love kids. I used to, when I was in primary school, um, I used to pretend I was sick so that mum would have to come to school 
and pick me up. And because she couldn't leave her class, I'd have to go and sit in the corner of the <laughs> classroom and not make sound. But I would love it because I'd sit there and I'd watch her. I'd pretend I was a teacher. Yeah. So I think I was always going to be a teacher, but it just took me a little bit of time to get there. Okay. No worries. Yeah. So from wanting to become a teacher? Well, I finished, I managed to finish my degree somehow. Mm-hmm. And during my degree is when I met Joel Mm -hmm. and he, we had been together two months Mm -hmm. and he got posted up to Tyndall, which is in Catherine in the Northern Territory. Sure. And I stayed down here. So we did 18 months of long distance while I finished my course. And I must say, if he wasn't the man that he is, because I'm like a bowl of emotional jelly, if he is not the man (laughs) or was not the man that he is, we would not have made that distance work. Mm -hmm. But from there, long story short, from there, I started working as a teacher's aide um, down at a few schools in the Hawkesbury Mm -hmm. and then got some casual work. And when I eventually moved to the Northern Territory, I got um, a full-time job before I finished my degree. Actually, Mm -hmm. I got a full-time job at one of the primary schools up there. And that was the best. We loved the Territory and I loved the school that I got to teach at. It was amazing. I'm I'm guessing Catherine would have a major shortage of teachers. Yeah, they do and they don't. It's a real transient community. Mm -hmm. So lots of teachers will either be uh, RAFI partners Mm -hmm. or they're teachers that come up there to get their rural experience and then they go. Mm -hmm. But something that we, you all have to go and do a teacher induction in Darwin before mm-hmm. you start. And, you know, there's teachers from Jabiru, Arnhem Land, way out, you know, lots of different places. And something that they said to us was, if you're going to be here for 12 months and think that you're going to make a difference, don't bother. Mm, okay. Because you have children from all walks of life. You've got Indigenous children, you've got Rafi children, kids whose parents have just decided they're going to go on a journey and they're going to live out in remote communities or, you know, live in Catherine. Yeah. You can't make a difference in a year mm-hmm. because then you're only making a difference for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're just doing something to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me. So I, I think that made me feel a little bit more at ease when I started my career because I was able to go, hang on a second, I'm not the one to make this huge difference to these children's lives. But I think by thinking that and taking that pressure off, you do make a difference because you're not trying to do it for yourself. You're then there for the kids. You love the kids and you want to see them be the best that they can be. Yeah, absolutely. I was told something very, very similar when I, um, when I took over a leadership role at the, at the station, Mm -hmm. um, in that, you know, don't try and change the world. You know, a a lot of these people have been in a lot longer than what you have. Um, you know, their, their routines and all that sort of stuff is ingrained into them. Yeah. The, the way, not necessarily the, the way you can get around that, but the, the way that you can, you can see the change is by being the best leader that you can. And if people want to fall in line with that, then they will. If, yeah. if, if they don't, don't stress, it's not mm-hmm. because they don't like you. It's just because they've got a slightly different way. And it just so happened that, um, that everyone, um, everyone responded to my leadership style, which was a relief. Yeah. That's me. lucky. No, that's good though. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, it was really, really good, but yeah, I, I couldn't imagine now going into it and trying to like from day one, like trying to incite the changes that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think I had the respect or the trust 
there. So, yeah. Which I think you really do have to earn it. Mm. You ha- and I learnt that the hard way mm-hmm. from when I was in WHSI, you know, young woman, I know what I'm doing, walked in <laughs> and no one wanted a bar of me. Mm-hmm. And it took me probably until the last couple of years when I was completely out of that career to realise, hang on a second, you don't have to know everything. Not everyone's going to want to do what you want to do. And kids really show you that. They show you that straight away. <laughs> they just, you straight into it. If they don't like you, you'll know. Yeah. And so you, you have to earn that respect. And then if you know that you're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. generally I think most people will come along yep. and follow you. As you've already alluded to, the, um, the diversity in Catherine is mm-hmm. quite broad. Yeah. How was the, um, how's the interaction with the different, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Like, especially because of the, the high population of indigenous Australians Mm -hmm. there. And then you've used, like you said, the transient, the, you know, the, the Rafi kids or something like that. Um, plus the people that sort of live there. How was the interaction between all those kids? I, I was really lucky. I went to a school that had, um, a high defense population, Mm -hmm. um, more so than indigenous population. And I don't know if that's just because of where the school was situated in a sense that it was close to the base. Um, however, I think for the vast majority, it's the best experience they could have had Mm -hmm. because you're immersed in a culture that you don't necessarily have a choice to change. Mm -hmm. And I think for children, children aren't born with prejudice Uh they pick up what they see and what they hear and i had amazing friends up there who you know were brought up on cattle stations or you know work in properties and things and they work with amazing indigenous people and people from overseas in europe who would come over just for work in the dry season sure and i think for them their children are probably more wholesome than Uh a lot of other kids because Everyone is just who they are. There's no, you know, you don't look at someone and automatically think, oh, they're different to me. <laughs> it's, it just is what it is. Yeah. However, I think, as with everywhere, you still have your challenges. And I think that if there ever were challenges, it was because of what kids would hear from adults. Mm. And I really, I worked with preschool children last year and, um, Nothing, nothing major. However, you would hear little things that kids would say and you could tell, oh, your mum must say that to you at home because they would be, you know, dressing up and playing with other kids and I'm going to get very cranky at you in a minute if you don't stop that. And you think, oh, Lord, your poor mum has probably said that to you a million times. And it was, I think, um, one thing that was amazing to me in Catherine was I'd come from... New South Wales schools where, you know, even for myself, I had never thought that I would want to be a ringer. (laughs) But you go up there and kids, you'd have dress up day and come in as what you want to be when you're older. You'd have helicopter pilots, you'd have ringers, you'd have cowboys. And it was amazing to me. And I thought, this is fantastic because that's where these people end up coming from is places like this where that's what they get to see. Whereas, you know, schools in Sydney, you might have one child that wants to do that, but other people are like, I want to be a doctor. I want to mm. be this. I want to be that. Not these kids. No, couldn't <laughs> care less about that. I want to be, I want to be a ringer in the, you know, in the rodeo with everyone or, 
and they would they they'd be four and five year olds and I would go and watch them at rodeos yeah it was insane to see little kids getting bucked off um potty calves and <laughs> oh it was amazing but I yeah very different to the life that I grew up with yeah the um I um I had a massive um anxiety attack not too long ago thinking about um and it was it was actually because of one of the podcasts someone um someone had said something and it made me think about my um my childhood through school and stuff like that mm-hmm. and um thinking about um sending Alex to school uh here in town yeah um and how sheltered I think town is yeah um it was like I've I've been in town now for about 13 years and coming into town as someone that has my appearance as Asian, mm-hmm. it was it was rough. Like it was really really rough, and it um, uh, like I was I was bullied a lot through high school for it as well. Yeah, wholly and solely because um, uh, again, like I, I grew up in the Blue Mountains, yeah, and I went through school um, in the mid to late nineties, so there wasn't much of an Asian population there. Yeah, so I, I guess I just. Um, um, I, I, I genuinely worry about, um, you know, how much, how much flack he's going to cop through, through school. But I mean, so far it's, it's been absolutely amazing. And, and like you said, it's, um, it's, it's something that kids pick up from, from home life and their mm-hmm. parents and stuff like that. But like, even now, like, you know, I, I notice, um, like even in preschool and stuff like that, like some of the comments and stuff like that, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably hypersensitive to it, to be honest. You, you possibly are, but I don't know that that's a bad thing. Mm. I think you almost can't help but live through your own experiences. And then having a child, of course you wouldn't want anything to ever make him feel bad about himself or who he is. Mm. But I, it's funny you say that I had, um, mind you, as you know, three and four-year-olds will say whatever they want, <laughs> whenever they want. And I had, I had such beautiful children. So I had 52 kids in two different groups. Wow. And we had, um, you know, you'd have Caucasian children, you had Aboriginal children, um, children from like Zimbabwe. I had some African children, uh, Kiwis, everyone. It was like a a mixed pot. And we actually had one day, I was reading um, The Ugly Duckling Mm -hmm. and I just love reading books. So I just happened to pick this one up. And I was talking about, I said, oh my goodness, they're not being very kind to this little duckling who looks a little bit different. Is that nice? And so we started having this chat about that. And one of um, the children in the class goes, oh, that's just like him. He's black. And I thought anyone as an adult, you go, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. don't say that. But for them, they were literally just pointing out, identifying that. And I took that as a moment with the other teachers that I had in the room with me. And we took that as a teaching moment for those mm-hmm. kids. And I said, oh, my goodness, you're right. And aren't we so lucky that we have, you know, kid A in the room with us because he's different to us. I said, how boring would it be if we all looked the same? Wouldn't that be so boring if everyone looked like Mrs. Forster? And they thought, you know, they thought that was hilarious because I was big and pregnant at the time. <laughs> I said, you'd all have big bellies and you'd have big, you know, jelly bellies like me. Um And from then on, it actually was amazing. It started a conversation. I then, with my next group, purposefully did it again. Mm -hmm. And I had parents come in and go, oh, you must have been talking about being different because such and such came home and said, you know, it's really good that I don't look like my brother. 
And I just thought that's how it should be taught. It's okay that someone has a different skin color to you. It's okay that you're Asian and I'm not. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I think you take it as a, a positive and isn't that fantastic because, and we started talking about different foods and, you know, I said, do you know, if we didn't have anyone different, you wouldn't have pizza. And they're like, <laughs> what? They couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so I think that's where, I think the way that you have a conversation with children about that is super important. Mm -hmm. And look, I'm, you know, a five second mother, but my advice to you as a parent would be, if he comes home and someone hasn't been kind, mm -hmm. have a conversation like that. Oh, well, that's a shame that they don't think it's really special because it is so special that you're different. Yeah. Because, how you know, and I say, how boring would it be if we were all the same? <laughs> It'd be really, really boring. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, that's how I'll handle it with my child. Yeah. Because I just think we are, we're so lucky in this country yep. that you can be different. You can have a different opinion, whether it's, a different taste in something, a different political opinion, whatever it is, but you don't get your tongue cut out of your mouth for it. Mm -hmm. You can have that and you can have a disagreement with someone and it'd be okay. Yeah. I think people forget that. I think that quite often gets forgotten. I, I couldn't agree with you more, actually. I think the, um, uh, like Australia is such a, a multicultural country. Mm. It, it, it always has been. But the, um, the interesting part is that I think in this day of day and age of um, of political correctness, um, people are less maybe not political correct political correctness definitely. Mm -hmm. Social media also doesn't help. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, but people have lost the ability to have have an open minded, subjective conversation with someone, mm -hmm. and you know it's it's okay to have differing differing opinions. I find it ridiculously interesting to have conversations with people that do have differing opinions, yeah. not necessarily because I want to change their opinion or not necessarily because they want to change my opinion, but just, just something completely different. And I mean, how do you, well, that's how you learn. Well, exactly right. Yeah. And, 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 and how do you, how do you not necessarily better yourself, but how, like broaden your, your mind and your knowledge if you yeah. don't have conversation with with someone like that. I do think it is bettering yourself because I think you can walk away from that. I'd like to think, and it is, it's a hard skill to do. I don't think everyone can do it, but you should be able to walk away from a conversation and reflect and think, is maybe I don't have the right thought or the right mm. belief there. You know, maybe, and even if you still don't agree with them, maybe they had a point. Or maybe they believe that because of a certain reason and that's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. something that I think I really, really learnt from children because you see them have an argument with each other and you have to explicitly teach it's okay that they don't want to play the same game as you or it's okay that they think, you know, that's blue and this is green. Mm -hmm. That's all right. You're allowed to think differently. Absolutely. And I think you're right that everyone gets a little bit too scared to be honest mm -hmm. sometimes they get a little bit yeah a little bit too worried that what they might say will then be taken with offense mm -hmm. and unless someone is being aggressive or has malicious intent mm. i think people should be able to speak freely mm -hmm. i think you should be able to have a different opinion from the person next to you you yeah. know that's like look at my husband now we have different opinions about everything <laughs> but um i think that's really important i think everyone would be an awful lot calmer in the world if people could just listen yeah. and accept. And actually, um, just to harp on, I saw this year for Australia Day, 
I was talking to my mum about it and the theme for it was reflect, respect and celebrate. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the first year I have thought, that's perfect. That is actually perfect. And I ended up having um, a discussion on Facebook with (laughs) an Indigenous woman who took her daughter to a protest Mm -hmm. and uh, someone had commented and said something about, you know, they were asked on the news why you know, what date would you want it changed to? And no one could give a date and such and such. And I don't think this other person was trying to be horrible by any means. I think they were just saying their opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually had a really nice chat with this Indigenous lady and I said to her, you know, personally, I think the theme is amazing because we can reflect and look and go, things that happened in the past weren't great. And we can respect each other's opinions, which I think people forget to do. Mm-hmm. But then there's nothing wrong with celebrating at the end either. Mm-hmm. I think it would be excellent if people could apply that to their whole life. Mm. And, you know, everyday situations, um, considering the year that we've had, mm. people you know, <laughs> need to be an awful lot nicer to each other. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that just really stuck out for me this year. Should Australia Day date be changed? This is where, this is my like, oh, you're going to be politically correct here. I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't know that it's up to me to make that choice. Mm -hmm. I personally, I don't feel, um, I don't know if qualified is the right word, but I don't feel that it affects me enough to have a strong opinion on it. Mm -hmm. However, I can look at from both sides and I look and think, you know, if you change the date, you haven't changed the date that happened in history. Mm-hmm. It still happened. And I think it's still important to acknowledge that it happened and parts of what happened were really wrong. Mm-hmm. But then I can look at the other side of that and go, not one of us would be here if that didn't happen. That's right. Even the people protesting, they mm-hmm. would not be here if that didn't happen because that happened and then the stars aligned from there that brought all of us here. Yeah. And then I look at the other side and think, if it really causes that much hurt and pain to people, mm-hmm. it's just a day and a number. Change it. it. Yeah. But again, that's, I don't know that that's up to me. And I asked this lady, I said, you know, okay, well, what's the suggested date that you think would be good? Yeah. And she had a, a brilliant response and I was so grateful for her response. She said, it's not just, it should be made by all of us together as a nation. That's how it should be done. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? That's actually excellent that you can sit there, have a chat with me about it and calmly express your opinion. Yeah. And I think people, obviously because there's hurt and emotion behind lots of things, I think people get too emotional and instead of stopping and listening, they just want to throw words back their emotions and feelings yeah out, sure which yeah. is you know hard to not do i guess yeah. when it affects you personally yeah I, absolutely i think I, i'm very privileged to never have had that hurt mm. but i think no matter what day that they choose or date that they choose they're never going to be able to please everyone mm, um, exactly. it's, it's, it's always going to offend someone yeah i guess the thing is that um uh, my my brother is partially or part indigenous, mm-hmm. and um, he genuinely just doesn't doesn't care. Like yeah. he celebrates the day, and and so do I. I celebrate the day as being proud of being an Aussie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it 
I, I, I know that the, the day and the date has connotations to the past, but the way we celebrate it is like what we do and the nation that we have and, you know, that we're proud of it and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, if they change the date, again, it, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't change what I celebrated for that day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for, for me personally, it, it, it doesn't, but like you said, you know, it, it, it wouldn't take much effort to change the date. Um, I, I wonder sometimes whether or not, um, and it's, it's like with everything, the, the minority general, generally speaking has a very, very loud voice. Yeah. And I do wonder whether or not it's the minority that wants to change the date. Um, whereas the majority genuinely just doesn't care. A lot of them are just proud of being Australian as well. And they yeah. just want to do the, the thongs and the Barbie and go I out and listen to triple J. And Exactly. And I think, you know, potentially it comes from my upbringing that I've, you know, I've, I haven't been through any of that. I've mm -hmm. never had someone look at me differently because of the color of my skin or been subjected to any of that sort of stuff. But I think, your average Joe Blow, and I could be wrong, but in my opinion, they just like the public holiday. <laughs> I think, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I also, I also don't think there's anything wrong with having your opinion that for the, for you that day causes stress. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you in that. Would it be enough? Where, where does it stop then? Mm -hmm. I have no problem with them having changed a word in the anthem. It mm -hmm. doesn't affect me personally. No worries. You know, I'll still sing it. No problem. But will it create a ripple effect? Mm -hmm. And again, the 26th of January will still always be what it was. You'll read in history books. They're not going to change that date to the other date. It will still always be that date. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I, I wouldn't ever want to any of your listeners, I would never <laughs> want to offend anyone at all. But for me, I don't know. I don't know if it would solve the bigger problem because mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. I think there's a bigger problem than just that. And I don't know that changing a date would solve it. And I know people say, but it's a step in the right direction. And it is, but how many more come after that that's you know, right what do we really need to do that's to it. make you feel better yeah that's what right. is the real root thing that you need us to do that's it so i'm not sure it it's definitely something that um uh i feel has only only very very mildly been dealt with um i, I still think that there's a lot of um a lot of underlying things that need to be dealt with in regards to indigenous Australians and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So hopefully, um, hopefully in our lifetime, we get to see some major changes and yeah, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so from Catherine and teaching. Yeah. Now you're back down here. Yes. So, uh, we, Joel was up in the Northern Territory for four years mm -hmm. and I was there for just under three. Mm -hmm. And we've just recently got a posting to Williamtown in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. So he's loving it there. We live in Madawi, <laughs> which is amazing. It's <coughs> such a beautiful place. And it's very different to Catherine. You're looking like, oh my gosh, there's green grass. <laughs> Look, you can mow your lawns and it's not just a dust bowl. Yeah. This is fantastic. And you'd also have the water there and the yeah. sea salt. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we... While we were in the NT, there was hardly any rain. Like it was the driest wet seasons for three years. Yeah. 
we left and it has not stopped bucketing. <laughs> and then we came to Madawi and I think the first three weeks while we were trying to unpack the house, it just poured. Yeah. And there were mozzies and I was like, where's Catherine? I miss the heat. <laughs> oh, I'm so over the rain. But it, um, it's great. It's such a, like a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, shops close by. And mm-hmm. if I want to go to Big W, it's only 15 minutes instead of three hours. Um, but it's, it is a change. It's, it's a good one though. And we, we loved Catherine for all that it was. And I think you kind of have to, if you're going to move there, you really need to take it in your stride. Yeah. And I think we plan on doing the same here as well. Like there's so many, we love camping and there's so many great places up there to go camping. Yeah. We've got two dogs and we can take them to the beach and they <laughs> love the water. You're not going to get eaten by a croc. You can actually swim yes, in the beach, yeah. which is amazing. I still don't trust it. I think it's changed my whole <laughs> I don't like the water. <laughs> I don't trust what's under it. But yeah, so we're there now. We'll be here for three years and then wherever they send us next. Yeah, right. Has, um, has Joel planned out how long he's going to stick around with the ADF or is he just going to stay with it as long as he can? Or? I think he's a lifer. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that he'll be in the exact same job his whole career. Yeah. Um, and his job is one that they're starting to subcontract out to civilians anyway. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, don't ask me why, because I have no idea. I don't know the reason behind it. I just, that's what he tells me. I, so I hope it's not a money thing, because it was always the, like, especially when we were in high school, like the, the ADF was high on my priority list too, because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And there was such a broad range of trades and qualifications you could get from the ADF yeah, and mechanics being like one of the big ones. And I'd, I'd hate to think if they subcontracted it out. I'm not sure what the reason behind it is, but he says that eventually, um, he might get cranky at me for saying, I think eventually it will be phased out. I'm sure they'll keep some because you need them for when you send them overseas and things yeah. like that. Um, but he also doesn't have a problem with like recommissioning to a different job or, you know, anything like that. But he's in for life, I reckon. Okay. And I'm totally happy with that. Means we always have a house. We get new adventures every three years. So, yeah. Yeah, no worries. Are you going to try and pick up a, um, like, go back to work and pick up a teaching gig where you are? Or are you just going (laughs) to If I could go back to work tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I will. So I have a little bit longer on maternity leave and then... I'll definitely either find casual work as a teacher or I'd like full-time, but it's a bit more cutthroat in New South Wales, especially I think up the coast is lots of people love living up there. So I'll do my best, but we'll be on the road again and then go to a new school. (laughs) I think one of our next postings we'd like to do would be Exmouth, which is Learmonth at the very, out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. So... That would be a great opportunity too, but I'll work wherever. I don't mind. I think you get experience from anywhere you go, so it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. What's it like being closer back to your mum and dad? It's excellent. <laughs> and we're even closer to Joel's family as well, which is really, really nice. Yep. Um, that was a big thing when I had Flynn. Mum was meant to be there, but he came earlier. So I think every time I spoke to her on the phone, she then ended up in hysterics for half an hour after. (laughs) She just wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's so great. That's what, that's the reason we wanted to post back down here. We wanted him to have 
family while he was really young yep. and build those bonds with them. He's got an abundance of aunties and uncles <laughs> who are all fighting for the title of favourite, yep. which I think is just beautiful that they love him so much. And he's got a great-great-grandmother, great-grandparents, grandparents. Like He's, yeah, he's the first of... The first of the bunch, yep. and it's just excellent that we get to spend so much time with family and Absolutely. be near them. Having that, um, just having that that support network, even if they're not doing anything, even if you just, you know, rock off to your to your mum and dad's or the or the in laws just for a cuddle, and they can yeah. look after them for half an hour while you just yeah. take a breather. <laughs> I think we've already booked in um, babysitting so we can like <laughs> go out for the weekend. But like you were saying, you end up talking to your parents so much more. I think my poor mother is sick of hearing my voice on the phone. <laughs> so I'm like, Mum, I think he's teething. He's dribbling a lot. She's like, yep, that happens. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Call her five minutes later. And it's the same. I'm I'm lucky that we're both, Joel and I are both one of four. Mm -hmm. So his mother is incredibly experienced. Yep. My mum, oh, the dads are too, obviously. But my mum is and. I find it funny that they say the sim like similar things when we go with the same room. I'm like, right. So mum does know what she's talking about because <laughs> Terry confirmed that that's the way to do it. It's just, it's funny. Have you caught yourself Googling weird stuff that your baby does? Oh my Lord. So I was probably ridiculous when I was pregnant. I read pregnancy books. <laughs> I did breastfeeding programs. I did all of this stuff. And then he came and I was like, um, did I ever read anything? I have no idea what on earth yeah. I read. I couldn't remember a thing. And there was one day where he didn't poo and it was petrifying to me. And I sat there while I'm like trying to comfort him and I Googled everything you could to try and get gas out. I was like, right, I'm doing this. So yes, I Google my heart out for a million things. I Google and then I confirm with mum and just double check and then I'll Google it again in case she's told me something different. Uh, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Especially, can, especially at three o'clock in the morning when you, yes. Yeah. No. Oh, it was wild. And I think like, how do you survive on exhaustion? Yeah. And obviously people do, and it must be true that you forget it because people go back and have more. Oh, no. and I'm like, I'm just waiting to forget. <laughs> just like to forget, please. Um, the, for us, the eating solid thing was, was a huge thing, um, especially with the pooping department. Good oh, Lord. <laughs> yes. It's wild. We've just, because um, we were in both families, big babies. Mm -hmm. There were not little babies, yet he came out little. He was tiny by comparison to the rest of us. How big? 3.4 kilos. That's tiny. Yeah. So he was, and I was That's huge. That's actually a pretty good size for a preemie baby though. Well, he was only three weeks. So he was, you know, technically at term. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was the side of a house and I remember looking at myself and looking at photos and thinking, gosh, I'm gorgeous. Like I'm just all belly. Look at me. I look at them now and think you didn't even have a neck mate. <laughs> you just went like face and shoulders and it was wild. But so I expected this big chunky baby. Yeah. Um, and Joel started solids young, my older brother, and I think all of us started them quite young. So yeah. we've got him twice a day. He'll mm -hmm. have solids. Nice. And he has like the apple puree. Mm -hmm. But I could not believe that after the first time I gave it to him, the next morning when he did a poo, I was like, it smells like apples. What is like, <laughs> this is wild. And the color changed instantly. And I never thought I would be so content with, you know, checking my kids poo. But yeah. 
there I go. Yeah, Having, there it is. Living the dream. And, and then and then out comes the phone and checking the colour with oh. Google and then sending photos of the poop to your mum and dad. And and I, you know what, even because I've been here for oh, like a week now yep. and Joel will ask me on the phone, is he pooing? How's his poo going? <laughs> I'm like, look at us. Like, this is what our marriage is now, talking about poo and yep. checking that, you know, a kid slept. But it's... Yeah, it's a whole new ball game. <laughs> Everything you thought you'd never, I will never do that. Look at me now. Here I am. So you don't have to admit to this, but I, I will tell a story. <laughs> um, in the middle of the night, I was I was putting Alex to bed, mm-hmm. and um, I had him in my arms, and I must have been tired because I walked past the door and I bumped his head. <laughs> now it, it wasn't it wasn't very hard. It wasn't like a full on knock. Yeah. But I was in hysterics. I was so upset with myself. Oh, God love So I, I managed to hold my shit together and, and mm-hmm. put him to bed and stuff like that. And then I went out to the lantern. I just fully broke down. Oh. And it was it was really funny because I, I sent a message to mum at whatever hour of the morning and she didn't get it till the morning and she called me and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I just I, I just couldn't deal with it and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, hey, that's, that's okay. The amount of times that I hurt you and dropped you and mm-hmm. stuff like that and kids are built for it and it's it amazes me so i think i can top you there (laughs) i and it was when mum and my best friend had come up to Catherine, and so flynn must have been i don't know maybe two or three weeks old and i was super cautious with his head when i was walking out of his bedroom but I jammed his foot in the door. And to this day, my mum gives me hell and she's like, oh, look at his club foot. And it was that poor kid screamed. Like he had a bruise on it. I I didn't cry as much as I wanted to. I was like, hold it together. People are watching you. But since then, I think I've chopped his fingers a million times when I'm trying to cut his nails. And I despise that job. But Joel's whacked his head, putting him in the car. <laughs> This poor yeah, kid. I've done that too. Oh, and I should dub my uh, my best friend Amy in. She threw a toy at his face. No, she didn't. <laughs> no, she was trying to soothe him with this beautiful music box that he got from Joel's parents. Mm-hmm. And part of it is connected to a magnet. And Flynn was already losing his mind because it was that time of night. Mm-hmm. And she tilted it and it just touched his cheek. But he cracked it. She's like, I want to go home. I don't think he's ever going to love me again. I can't touch him. It was, I almost think it's initiation into parenthood, to Mm -hmm. be honest with you. And I remember mum saying exactly like your mum. I remember my mother jamming my hand in the car door. In the car door, yeah. I once had my hair out and was like, you know, half head out the window. She put the window up. So my hair got caught in it. I think it's just... (laughs) You just, it's almost like maybe subconscious payback. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mum actually said something really interesting to me as well, which was, um, you know, if, if you're worried about bumping your head, mm-hmm. your, your kid's head on, on the door, like um, I, I, I could not imagine people purposely hurting Ooh. kids. And I mean, look, before I had a kid, obviously, like I knew like yeah. hurting kids, it was disgusting and yeah. these people are yeah. monsters and stuff like that. But it, it's not until you have a kid do you realise, like, like I, I couldn't even fathom going out of my oh. way to hurt a child. Like, it just... It, it, it makes it me sick. angers me yeah. down to my core. Yeah. I, I had the exact same chat with mum when she came up. And I just remember looking at him. And they are. Like, we're the only species where your babies are helpless. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at him and thinking, how could people mm. harm a child? 
and we had um, neighbours in Catherine who lived a couple of doors down and um, I worked with the wife and the husband was a copper and he said some of the things that came across the desk and I, it just exactly, it angers you so to your core that I can't, I almost have to not think about it because I will never let him out of my sight, otherwise <laughs> he's not going anywhere, yeah. you have to stay by mummy's side forever. But no, I just, that to me is beyond. And you, I think you truly have to be sick in the head. There has to be something chemically wrong with you mm -hmm. to do that. Mm. Because I just look at him and think all you want to do is love and protect him, That's which it. is a whole other ball game. Oh my Lord. I remember we went to low level in Catherine, which when I was pregnant, we go swimming there and occasionally they pull a crock out but you know we swam where we could see sure and i was carrying flynn up these stairs and i sort of almost lost my balance um but i didn't but then for and i you know managed to get him in the car and he was okay and for the next two weeks every time i went to go to sleep i went through every scenario in my head of if i fall how do i protect him if it's just me and i have the dogs you know, do I try and get the dogs in the back of the ute? Do I strap him into his car seat? Mm -hmm. It is. Who'd have children? I don't know why we do it to ourselves. It's wild. It was. Um. It's. It's a. It's an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Um, we. We're not going to do it again. But. Um, yeah. Uh, you know once... what? I don't blame you. I really don't. <laughs> I genuinely do not blame you. One's. One's definitely enough. But. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until. I mean. You know. I. I always knew that. Um, that I wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And, and I hoped I, I could be a dad. And, um, it, you know, I, I always thought that, you know, I'd, I'd be a, a really loving father and all that sort of stuff. But it's not until you actually have that kid in your hands, mm. especially for the first time, yeah. and how, how deeply you fall in love with this thing. Yes. It's just, it's nuts. Um, and it was like the... the Alex's birth was, was definitely dramatic as well. So it was... It was man, it was wild. Like, um, the, the wife bled out oh, I had a big bleed too and, and bled out really badly Jeez Louise. so the the doctors like there was doctors coming and you always know in a hospital when something's gone bad because people start running yeah so yeah, yeah she'd lost consciousness she'd, oh, she'd gone out. like so the Alex is coming out mm. she'd just she'd gone and yeah. then like I could hear the the blood oh it was a bleed it was and it was wow. a, yeah so baby yeah, here you me. go. Yep. Yeah, and then just doctors everywhere, oh. and so I'm sitting there with his kid. He's still he's still not crying. He's looking up up at me just with these big wondrous eyes, almost the same mm. as yours. Like, uh, how dare you take me out of yeah. this warm, <laughs> sloshy place? I was enjoying that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but it was in that moment that yeah, it was just it was amazing. Um, and how I, lucky that everything turned out worked out because mm. otherwise it's you and that boy. That's it. Oh. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't I... do the single parent thing. I don't, I don't know how people do, and no. I, I find them Huge amazing. Them. Oh, my Lord. I don't know that I would be as with it. I know for a fact I would not be mentally where I am if I didn't have Joel mm -hmm. and him be the way that he is. Like, he is, he is an amazing dad. Because I had a Caesar, and it was that was not in my birth plan. I wasn't <laughs> going to do that. And, you know, just to plan another thing. Um, but he did everything that first week in hospital. Mm -hmm. And that's a really, you know, I'm sure your wife would have gone through the exact same feelings. You have this baby and then you can't pick them up because you don't have the strength. 
Yep. And then breastfeeding doesn't work. So then you feel like more of a failure. Mm -hmm. He did everything. I didn't even see Flynn's beautiful little bottom until we got home because he changed every single nappy. Yep. He is still to this day the perfect swaddler. I can't do it. I can't wrap him tight <laughs> enough. He can do it. He's just, yeah, I, I would not be where I am if I didn't have him <laughs> as my husband. But I think as well... I remember, like you were saying, with when you look at them and it's this love, I think I had prepared myself for a romantic love sure. because that's what you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I I remember feeling a disconnect because I didn't have that romantic love feeling. Mm -hmm. But there was then one day where I was sitting at home, <laughs> I just started howling as I do, and I looked at Joel and I just said, he is exactly who he is meant to be. Like, it was just this overwhelming, I was born to be your mother. Mm -hmm. You look exactly like you're meant to. And that, for me, was better than anyone ever described. Yeah. Like, it was, I don't know, it was euphoria. Just that, you are mine, and this is what, this is what it is. Like, this is what it's meant to be. That's it. It's, that makes everything worthwhile, yeah. I reckon. Did you, um, did you suffer from any pre uh, postnatal depression? No, but I think I got close at one stage. Okay. I think I was really lucky. My mum had postnatal depression mm -hmm. and she's very in tune with being aware of that. Yep. And I think I was really, really lucky that I had her come up and be with me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that if I were to have had it, it would have been recently that it would have kicked in. Okay. Because we moved from... Catherine where I had friends and I had friends who literally lived a door away yeah. and we would walk straight into each other's house and then I moved to somewhere where I knew nobody and yes I have family but they're still a drive away. Mm. Joel was going back to work mm -hmm. and it was almost a I was sad that I wasn't getting to go back to work yeah. and that I you know, as a teacher, you build up for the start of the year and it's yeah, your favourite yep. time of the year. And everyone was getting excited and New Year's had happened and, you know, my cousin that's just, she's got her own business. She put all these big plans in place and has these amazing goals. My little sister started her business and I was like, oh, I'm at home with someone who can't talk to me. <laughs> and that's a really guilty feeling that you feel like that. But I sort of had to have... A bit of a chat with myself and I was lucky that I could talk to my cousin Emma and my sister and my mum and all of them um, and even Joel's mum and just have them say it's okay that you feel like this mm -hmm. it's actually all right that mm -hmm. your baby isn't exactly everything that you thought it would be that's okay to mm -hmm. feel like that even though he is it's a yeah it's a play with your mind yeah, kind of thing. yeah. so I think that I definitely could have fallen into it but I'm very, very lucky that I didn't. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really like you have lucky. an amazing support network. Oh, the best. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, okay, hang on, let me have a moment. But yeah. there, I would rather that than have people that didn't want to know and didn't want to be involved. Yeah, so. absolutely. I think it's um, guilt was probably one of the one of the biggest feelings that I had um, all through it, whole and solely because. Um, I wanted to, like we discussed before, I, mm. I, I wanted to be there 24-7 looking after yeah. this kid and I just, I physically couldn't. 
I, yeah. I, I couldn't hold my shit together. Um, you know, I, I needed sleep. I needed this. And I actually love hearing that from a dad. <laughs> actually, I'm like, maybe Joel thinks like this and he just doesn't tell me. <laughs> and, you know, it was um, the, the, the guilt came about because I had to force myself to be away from the kid. Yeah. I, I had to force myself to, to go and sleep, to go mm-hmm. and, you know, to go and cook, to go and to go back to work and stuff like that. And yeah. um, it wasn't until a lot later that, that I was I was at peace with all that. But yeah. at the time, man, oh man, the, yeah, the, the overwhelming guilt, it was rough. I think fathers potentially suffer a lot and I think they suffer more than people acknowledge. Mm. We were so lucky. The hospital in Catherine were fantastic absolutely amazing like if you ever want to have a baby go to Catherine (laughs) they were and the midwives were amazing and it was something that was brought up in our pregnancy classes was dads you need to look after yourself too and if you start to feel bad you can talk to someone as well and it might be you just need to vent to your wife Mm -hmm. um Joel and I have had moments where which I think has made us stronger but we've both had moments where we go you know is this really what we wanted to do? We can't just pack up and go camping anymore. We've got a little baby to think about. Or you're both trying to solve the problem in two different ways mm-hmm. and then you get cranky at each other. And it's not because you don't love each other, you're just exhausted. Yep. And he got to a stage where, because he ended up having, um, I think about nearly four weeks off because I'd had the Caesar. Sure. And then we moved. So we had the stress of, he was amazing. <laughs> like, thank goodness that he did all of that. He finally got us moved down here and then he had about seven weeks off. And that was it. Like for him and Flynn, I just love that he's had that time with him. But he only said to me not too long ago, oh, I had to go back to work because you were driving me crazy. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Like, how can you say that to me? But I appreciate that he can be that honest with me. Sure. And for he and I... We sometimes work better when we have a break. I think everyone needs a break from each other. I think so. But, you know, now that he is back at work, he is happier when he's home. And he now has started playing soccer again, which is something that he loves. Mm -hmm. So I think now when he does have time with Flynn, he gets to cherish it a little bit more and he really makes the most of it. Absolutely. Which makes me happy because I'm like, hey, I'm just going to leave for a minute. (laughs) I'm out. See ya. I'm having a break. But it's... Even when, you know, when I'd had the Caesar and everything, he he really did everything. He cooked dinners. He, you know, made sure it all was done, as I did not cope well with recovery. Um, but that was his way of fixing. And I think if he didn't have the opportunity to do that, as in if I didn't let him, which yep. I think sometimes as the mother, you can't help but not, mm-hmm. I think he would have been driven insane he needed something to do he yeah. needed to be able to feel useful yeah exactly and even just to be able to pass flynn to me because i couldn't you know stand up or whatever it was yep he was that was good for him yep and it gave them such a beautiful bond. like i'm so grateful that he got to have that because i remember being like i want skin on skin as soon as he's born but I didn't realize you don't lie flat when you have a Caesar. You're on a diagonal mm. and you're being pulled around like nobody's business. Yep. So he got to be straight. Um, yeah, Joel and Flynn got to have each other for that moment. And that was, I think you just fall in love with them all over again because I just looked and thought, 
you've never wanted to touch anybody's babies and look at you with this. Like, he could not care less about anybody else's kids. Yep. He's like, oh, cute. And, you know, if they can play, yep, awesome. I'll have a little play for five minutes. And he's like, meh, I'm, I'm over it. But with ours, <clears throat> the way that he held him was just so natural and it was beautiful. He was a blubbering mess. I love that. Makes me happy. No, he was, yeah, he's just, he's a great dad. So, Maddie, we're almost at the end of January already. Yeah. What does the rest of the year hold for you? Just being a mum, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that. Just spending lots of time with family. Being a mum, enjoying it, mm -hmm. and just trying to take it day by day. Yep. Um, and hopefully at the end of the year, getting back into work toward cool. the end of the year. Excellent. Yeah. Very, very cool. Lots of adventures with a new baby. We'll see how we go. Yeah. See it's if we survive. There's lots of fun, especially approaching one. Holy hell. Yeah, wow. Well, hopefully he'll be riding a horse soon, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> very, very cool. All right. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming out. Thanks for letting morning. me talk your ear off. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, I think it's almost time. It's 10 o'clock, so it must be coming oh, yeah. up to coming feed up to time. Feed time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Like he's got a grandmother. <laughs> no, thank you very much for coming out. Um, so I wish much. you all the best. Good luck with the, well, have a safe trip back home. Yes. Good luck with the rest of the year. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up another time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Maddie.